Hey, Elwood City Limits listeners, this is Will, and you know what time it is. Well, it's time for Elwood City Limits, the episodic Arthur podcast. Yes, true. But it is time for a certain part of our schedule when we take a look at the season of Arthur that was. If you've been listening... Uh, to every episode. I mean, this would be weird if you if this was your first episode. <laughs> if that's true, welcome, but I would encourage you to check out maybe the other ones before you keep going, especially uh, the other episodes from season 10, which is the uh, which is the season that we're wrapping up today. The first double digit season that we've been through. And as usual, there were highs, there were lows, there were creamy middles, and we're going to both be talking about it. By both I mean myself and my co-host, Lucas Mancini. Now, how we normally do these is uh, we both give our thoughts uh, separately. This is one of the easier episodes for us to record. We can both do it on our own time, and it's usually not too, too long. Uh, and before we get started, uh, I'm recording this actually before Halloween, uh, just to for a little bit of uh, uh, behind the curtain here. So... Uh, we kind of alluded to things happening, perhaps for our United States of America listeners, uh, in the coming week. So I don't know what any of that looks like at this point. It's not even Halloween yet. Scary stuff is still happening, <laughs> whether we want it to or not. So uh, we will try our best to keep up with that. But we also have uh, some Arthur goings-on in our world. We're going to be ranking our top five episodes of Season 10 and giving our general thoughts. I usually like to let Lucas go first. But before he does that, we have uh, an email that came in a little bit under the wire. And before we kind of say goodbye to Season 10, I felt like this one was worth reading. This one is from J.H.C., who is uh, one of our regular emailers, and we're happy to hear from him. And this one concerns an episode we talked about uh, a couple of podcast episodes ago. So JHC, still out here listening because you know your boy is with you all the way. Belated thank you for the ECL Flash Forward episode on when Carl met George, and a very belated happy birthday to you, Will. Yeah, it's all good, but uh, yeah, uh, two months into 30, and it's not too bad. I must confess that I am what you call Lost in the sauce when it comes to American Girl Dolls, a.k.a. the real-life franchise that the World Girls episode parodies, and I would best describe myself as an adult collector of these dolls. Cool. I know what you're thinking when I say this, but I'm not here to, well, actually, any of your takes. In fact, I actually think Lucas said something really insightful when he compared the World Girl fanaticism to real-world MCU fans when Black Panther came out. In both of these situations, an underrepresented group of people finally gets one piece of media where their experiences are centered. But of course, we live in a society. So when you peel back the layers, you realize that these corporations do not care about you as people. They just care about your money, and it's profitable to these corporations to care about representation. They will, but the number one goal is to make a profit. So that, uh, uh, JHC, talking a little bit about what we ended up having a conversation about in our World Girls episode, which was just two episodes ago on the main timeline here. But we continue. I didn't pick up on this when I first saw this episode as a child. I remember feeling sort of uncomfortable and even upset upon viewing the scene where the girls run in the back room of the store and see the automated assembly line. 
Uh, though it wasn't because I was finally reckoning with the concept of consumerism, instead I took issue with this scene because I found it an inaccurate portrayal of how American Girl actually operates. As a company, it really emphasizes the level of research that they do when constructing their characters. As you know from cursory research, this is a line that takes interest in viewing the history of the United States from the perspective of a young girl. In order to do this, there's a lot of energy spent on brainstorming a specific time and place. For example, pre-contact indigenous society in the Pacific Northwest, or the civil rights movement of the 1960s. In both of these examples, which are real characters by the way, American Girl assembled an advisory board consisting of highly educated and well-respected academics, historians, and cultural ambassadors to evaluate the doll and her story through mul throughout multiple stages of development. This company has been doing this long before the discussion of representation was even a blip on the average person's radar. See, I didn't know this, and this is why we appreciate your feedback uh, to kind of help us along where maybe our thoughts and opinions uh, maybe don't stretch, or we, we just don't know... That's a, that's a fancy way of saying, sometimes we just don't know stuff. This level of care in creating authentic characters is not seen in the World Girls episode, and so I remember feeling punched down or condescended to about this because I interpreted such an omission as a dismissal and a mockery of my interests. Look at these stupid girls and their dumb girly dolls. Don't they know there's more to life than playing with dolls who all look alike? I still hear people saying things like this to children today. Hearing Francine call it the World Girl franchise as a scam irritated me, because A, it wasn't anything I hadn't already heard before, and B, the people who would make similar comments to me were most often adults, and a lot of them were male. So Francine ended up sounding to me like a number of soapboxing grown adults, and as a kid who loved both American Girl and Arthur, I found this hard to reconcile. Now, as an adult, even if I find the wording of such criticism unnecessarily harsh at times. I don't actually disagree. Ever since I've had to earn my own money, I've had to confront the fact that we live in a world with an ever-increasing wage gap. I'm a person starting a career in the middle of a pandemic. I can't be spending money on expensive toys, even if I do like their offerings. I refuse to set myself on fire to keep a corporation warm. Here, here. Is this cynical? Maybe the line about fire is, but let me contextualize. American Girl recently released a new character in the past month, Courtney Moore, aka the 80s SoCal girl of everyone's dreams. There was a lot of uproar over this character in my corner of the fandom because she was a white, upper-middle-class girl, which is not exactly a demographic that's lacking for representation, especially for this franchise. There was a huge wave of South Asian and Central American immigration to the U.S. around this time, so why not a girl from either of these demographics? Well, American Girl is a company with expensive stuff that's been around nearly 35 years. Moms who grew up with the franchise will look at this doll and reminisce on their memories of the totally cool 80s. And a little blonde character all decked out in her scrunchies and neon leggings who hangs out at the mall is probably going to be easier to relate to than, say, a character from another culture that would not have been as tuned in to the pop culture of the era. American Girl is a company is aware of this, and the company has had decreasing sales for a few years. In Lucas's own words, at the end of the day, it's this cynical cash grab by this major corporation, and in the middle of the pandemic, American Girl is probably glad they released something safe at the expense of diversifying their lineup. As Courtney looks so similar to a number of dolls they currently offer, I can definitely imagine her and their other dolls being assembled in a way that looks just as Arthur depicted. All in all, I really enjoyed hearing your thoughts on Word Girls. Hope you enjoyed this overview. I did. I did. Thank you so much for everything, you guys. Have a good rest of your spooky season. Again, that's from JHC, who always gives us some very thoughtful responses. And of course, if you're giving us a response to any episodes that we've talked about, you can make it as long and short as you want. We may have to editorialize a little bit, 
bit, but we appreciate what you have to say. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And I was really hoping for a little bit of um, information and opinions about um, American Girls and World Girls, the episode. So I'm glad that we got it. And I want to make sure we got that in before we move on. So in just a moment, we're going to hand things over to Lucas, and he is going to let us know what he thought of Season 10 and what his top five episodes are. What's up, party people? Happy uh, November and whatever you know associated holidays you celebrate along with it. Uh, Lucas here. Hope you're having a good fall thus far. We're at the end of the season. Season 10 of Arthur. The big 1-0. A decade of Arthur. Can you believe it? Uh, and with that, we're going to be talking about, or at least I am. I know Will is too. Uh, talking about the top five Arthur episodes of the season. And it was kind of a doozy. I feel like season 9 and 8 were pretty cold. Uh, but season... Season 10, different story entirely. Sorry, I was looking for, I wanted to do a fun thing where I uh, find my top top five albums of the year, but I can't seem to find it in my notes app. I know I, I wrote this down. You know, I used to give those uh, little, little special, special like top five in the NBA for those who remember the really, really old uh episodes of elwood city limits let me just see if i can find this here in my notes app this is great radio by the way this is incredible uh incredible content you're listening to right here i don't think i could find it so we're just gonna move on we're gonna move on to the top five arthur episodes starting with number five arthur changes gears uh, I really liked this episode because I thought it had a really uh, creative and nuanced moral and not only that um kind of a hot take uh, kind of taking a Marie Kondo stance in that, hey, if you have things in your life that you cherish, you should enjoy them instead of, you know, hiding them away. So a lesson to all you sneakerheads out there, take them out of the blocks, you know, wear them around, get them dirty, uh, because sometimes the memories you enjoy with those objects are better than the objects themselves. Moving on to number four, Curse of the Greebs, uh, an episode that I like to think that was all about you know, the magic of sports and the magic of your community getting behind the local team and kind of the way that it fosters uh, a kinship to you and your fellow person because uh, you're all rooting for the same thing. Uh, and I thought that episode really captured kind of that feeling and explained why that happens to a younger audience in a really effective uh, way that was wise beyond kind of its its uh, intended audience's years. So that was a really interesting episode. Number three, D.W. Bossy Boots. This episode uh, is almost up here for the dream sequences alone. So this episode's got a bunch of really fun kind of vignettes. Uh, there's like D.W. watching like foreign French movies, which is funny because I've, I've actually been recently doing that myself. And so uh, I, I feel a... Uh, Kind of a kinship with DW there, to use a word I was using earlier. Uh, yeah, we get to see Emily's like crazy, opulent birthday party, and of course we get the very memeable, you know, hundreds of DWs. DW Malkovic, uh, great sequence. Uh, one of the legendary Arthur Dream sequences. So that one was really fun. Uh, and speaking of the cinema, speaking of film, number two, the squirrels. I loved. 
this kind of homage to Hitchcock. I liked the way that they kind of changed the framing of um, this Arthur episode to make it look like more of a of a, a suspense thriller from that era, from the you know the fifties and the sixties. Uh, make it more Hitchcockian. And so I thought it was all really cool. As a movie fan, I really got a kick out of this episode. And also, it's really funny. It's a really funny one. So I, I was a big fan of The Squirrels. And number one um, was World Girls. Uh, it's been a while, I think, since I've, I've been this keen on an Arthur episode. And I th- I've thought that an Arthur episode was this smart. Um, I think World Girls is really packs a lot into the 10 minutes it stays around. It's working on multiple levels. You know, it's a it's a critique of uh, consumerism. It's a critique of uh, not knowing enough about the world. It's, it's, it's a critique of a lot of different things. Um, and it's able to do this all in, in a really, really interesting and smart way. I think uh, in my review of it originally when me and Will were sitting down to watch it, I compared it to Grandpa Dave's Old Country Farm, which is like... That's how you know an episode's really, really good. And it's, it's you know, an episode that is predominantly using all the female characters, some of which we don't see that often. So Suellen and Muffy and, and Francine are taking uh, the reins here. And I think this might be the first time, uh, like, a, an episode of that nature has been at the very, very, very top of my top five list. So World Girls, um, and I, people were talking about this on Twitter, too, that it's one of uh, some of the audience's favorite episode. Uh, excuse me, one of, some of the audience's favorite episode that they've seen. Um, so yeah, and I, I tend to agree with them. I loved World Girls, and I think it's definitely the best episode of Season 10. So that's my thoughts. Uh, that's my top five. Let's try one more time. We're going to try one more time. I really uh, have a disorganized notes app. So I should. they've added the ability to kind of organize these in a, a more logical way. Uh, like here, we got. I'm looking at the movies to see list. That's not going to help me. That's not a fun top. Where the hell is this? Can I search? Let's see. Let's see, you guys. Again, great radio. Let's see. On my phone. Let's go music. Let's. If I search music, what's going to... Um, of the year? Let's do of the year. Let's do, let's do album. Let's do album. Let's try it. If album doesn't show up, we're going to give up. Okay, 2020 fave albums. And look, there's five of them. Amazing. Look at this. Okay. Little, little bonus surprise for the heads. Uh, yeah, we got um, Fetch the Bolt Color Cutters by Fiona Apple. This was like a huge album when quarantine was first breaking. Um, Fiona Apple, long hiatus. Uh, one of the kind of the greats where she's she's so picks and chooses her moments right she doesn't overload us with albums a, a fiona apple album feels like an event uh and this album feels so kind of of this current moment and it felt so of that current moment when it dropped right when quarantine was getting bad uh so i think that was a really really uh good album next uh no dream by jeff rosenstock i love jeff rosenstock i love his kind of like super sugary kind of variety of, of punk or pop punk or what have you. Uh, and I thought this album was kind of a return to form for him. I didn't like his last album as much, but this album was really catchy um, and it was really loud and it was really fast. And it's just everything you kind of want from a Jeff Rosenstock album. And it was kind of a really good soundtrack to the summer. Um, then the next one was uh, Snapshot of a Beginner by Nap Eyes. 
Um, Nap Eyes is a band from Halifax, local band, um, and just really kind of really well-written rock music in terms of like lyrical content and stuff. Really, really clever, um, well-done rock music. And of course, it's local, um, so it gets bonus points for that as well. Really cool album, uh, and I always get that Mark Zuckerberg song stuck in my head. Uh, Number two... And this is, I really, really do love this album. I don't care who knows it. Uh, Punisher by Phoebe Bridgers. Uh, I still have that on rotation often. Uh, it's so good. It's great. Listen to it. It's so good. It's good. Halloween just passed. It was great to bust it out again. Um, it's Phoebe Bridgers, she's a delight. She's wonderful. She's lovely. Number one is another local band. Uh, the album Present by the band Dog Day. Um, so awesome. I love it. I love Dog Day. It's hard to put into words kind of what I like so much about it, but it's, it's probably amongst my favorite. If I would go as far as to say Dog Day is my favorite local band. Uh, they really like put up music. That's music from around here is, is really good, I think, but there's like an elevated nature to this new Dog Day record where it just feels, uh, so huge. Uh, compared to everything else around here. I just think it's like, it's it's immaculate. So you should check those albums out if you're into music. And also check out those Arthur episodes. Okay, look at this. Eight minutes of my, my faves. Uh, all right, I'm going to send this file off to Will. Uh, maybe I'm going first. So if, if that's the case, you know, here comes Will's picks. And if I'm going second, bye-bye, uh, everybody. Uh, see you in December. Merry Christmas. All that jazz. Bye-bye. Thanks, Lucas. Of course, we'll be back uh, together very soon. But uh, yeah, it's time for me to talk about season 10. And I mean, if you've been following this podcast for a long time, four years now, I think (laughs) it seems to be, or at least I kind of pick up the fact that um, it's harder for me to sum up these seasons because I'm at the constantly at the risk of repeating myself. And I also feel like maybe I've said this at the beginning of seasons as well. So I think that in the end, season 10, I had hopes for. But I also think it kind of mm, didn't meet them altogether. What I like to do is I always like to look up the episode list and kind of chart... Kind of is kind of is like a a line graph of like where my expectations and my feelings were. So my feelings started very high. I really liked that we got to have an anniversary episode in Arthur, and um, I thought the way they did it was very interesting and uh, and a good watch. But then as we went along, I mean, we are always here for when Arthur gets strange and out there and has plots that you wouldn't. Um, that you wouldn't expect because one of the things that I've taken away from this podcast is that I personally feel that Arthur as a television show is able to take either well-worn story ideas and put them in a way that is uniquely interesting or just make entirely new stories that are on their own extremely interesting. So that's uh, some of its very uh, specific strengths as a television show. When I feel is not so great is when it tries to be, it's uh, when it's no different than other shows. So I will say that as much as there are, you know, we had some episodes here after the anniversary episode and kind of the middle that 
I wasn't so crazy about. I really have to respect the fact that they're they're out there. You have episodes like The Squirrels, which has to do with a parody of the birds. You have Fern revisiting uh, Persimmony Glitchit and uh, j- just the kind of imagination that goes into that. You have... Um, you have the Curse of the Grebes, where you have like a fake baseball team with real baseball players as the guest stars. I thought that was really fun. Um, you even have stuff like DW having an ear operation, or George inventing his own language, or or Arthur discovering a novel uh, based off a Jules Verne novel that that really gets into like the specifics of what the novel is. So there's still a lot of those. There are just these couple of ones, and I feel. This is where I noticed a lot where DW is becoming less of a character in the main story of Arthur. And now it's becoming more of a cipher for small children watching the show, which is too bad. Because when I started watching Arthur, I was six years old, six or seven years old, barely, barely older than DW. And so I was much closer to Arthur's age, in fact. I guess it's hard for me to say whether or not I wanted a DW-like character to relate to, but I feel like it's obviously less interesting for me to watch uh, episodes like The Secret About Secrets or DW Bossy Boots, and this is when it starts to feel a bit more like we already have shows, cartoon shows, shows for kids that are made for DW's age range and kind of don't and kind of say the same thing. So that's when I kind of felt the, sh- the season was at its weakest. And there were a lot of these episodes where I felt like it didn't really, um, it didn't really rise to, it, like, it didn't meet the interest I had from, say, reading the description of an episode. So that's, I mean, that has to do with me. Obviously, you may feel different, and of course, we encourage you to let us know if you do feel differently. Uh, over at elwoodcitylimitsgmail.com or on any of our social media. We'd be happy to know what you think of Season 10. So I do kind of fall in the middle. But what what I will say is that sometimes I feel like, oh, no, now Arthur's getting bad or, like, it's not getting as good or we're getting less kind of memorable episodes, let's say. There were still a lot of, like, there was a ton of memes in this season. So it seems like this one resonates with a lot of people today. And I imagine that, I'm just trying to think here, like if you were, say, my age, seven or eight years old, when I I started watching, when Arthur aired in 1996, I believe that was, um, and if you were that age in 2006 when this is airing, you would be, you know, eight in your late teens to early 20s right now. So you would be, you know, your prime meme-making years. So it seems that this, this time of Arthur's existence um, hits, hits home for some people, just based on how old they were when they first watched it. So it's really cool to see Arthur live on and kind of evolve as people, as people grow up. And no matter what I feel about it, I'm a 30-year-old man, I'm glad that it did reach its, its target audience back in the day, and hopefully it still reaches people today. Because as we know, there are, it's still able to reach people like me even today. So let's talk about something a bit more positive, my top five episodes of the season. Let's start 
with number five, which was, which was a little bit tough. There were a couple that I felt uh, could have fit here, but I decided to go with flaw and order. I liked the uh, adding the procedural elements to an Arthur episode. It was kind of an interesting mystery. I wondered where exactly it was going to go. And uh, I found that it uh, it actually wrapped up fairly satisfyingly. You know, it's a little silly, but... It, it, for for a detective story, like, I guess it's different than, say, like, the Snowball episode when it turns out, like, aliens did it. Uh, in, the, in this way, I was like, okay, this, like, this is actually fine. So, uh, yeah, Flaw and Order is my number five. Number four, I give to Happy Anniversary, which is the premiere episode of the season. What I really liked is the standing message of this. Now, I think that it's, you know, it's actually rare now that I think about it that we have episodes that are solely devoted to the Reed family. We used to have those a lot in the earlier seasons where they go on vacation together, and it's a lot about the chemistry between the the family dynamic. And I liked that we returned to this here, and the uh, overall message being, you know, the importance of spending time together as a family. And I always appreciate that. And I thought it was a really interesting... I'm going to try not to say interesting. It was a... Ooh, that's hard. You ever try not to use interesting? It's kind of what my my brain defaults to. I liked the way that it reflected on the past 10 years. It actually gave me a chance to reflect and see how far the show has come. It was a nice, simple, little story. I don't think it, you know, it's not going to, you know, break your brain or anything, but uh, it, it was very comfy. It was a very comfy episode, let's say that. Number three, Binky versus Binky. This was the Binky episode of the season, and thankfully, it didn't quite reach the heights as other as other ones. But that's, I mean, that's a hard bar to clear. Sometimes we put Binky episodes up on the pedestal, so uh, it's important for us to remember that even a good Binky episode rather than a great one, is still very much appreciated. I really liked um, this idea of competing against yourself. This is something that I'm still trying to learn today. Um, the I work out a lot at home now because I find that when I'm out working out among people, I mean, obviously, let's say the coronavirus doesn't exist. Wow, what a great world. But I find when I'm you know exercising in front of people, I do end up competing with other people, even mentally. Let's say when I'm scrolling through Instagram or Twitter or something, I find myself competing with these people that I see as like an ideal. But the message here is that there's no one that you should be competing with when you exercise except yourself. And it also encourages finding things that you're good at and doing it because you like to do it. And I think that's also a really great message to spread. I wish I wish I had seen this when I was much younger, and maybe that would have stuck. And of course, it does it with its trademark Binky Charm, and uh, I was very happy. And of course, Binky's awesome shirt. I love that shirt. Number two, uh, I think this will be higher up on mine than Lucas's, Operation DW. So this actually paired with Binky versus Binky. That was a great episode front to back. I thought this was great. Um, I really especially thought it was great for the younger kids. Now, I know I did the whole, I've done the whole thing where it's like, eh, I'm not a huge fan of these DW episodes, but this was done in such a way that I felt like no other show had done it this way. It's especially because you have DW getting an operation on her ears, which, first of all, very kind of almost limiting to the audience if if you if you if you catch my meaning like i, I get, not a lot of people have had i'm just <laughs> i have the word in front of me here tympanostomy tube uh surgery 
So immediately, it's like, okay, well, she's got the big ears. You can immediately see that. But it takes you through what it's like to have an operation like that as a kid. And I do wonder, maybe if you're this type of kid, email me in. If you watched this episode as a child and this helped you either understand surgery or operations, or maybe you were going through one yourself and it helped you in that way. And I like that it exists as that. It exists as a possible um, aid for young children who have to have surgery, of course, for many different reasons that can be true, and none of them really all that great. So it's always, you know, it was was almost heartwarming in a way of just like this very um, positive portrayal of the medical system, which when you get older, you realize may not always be on your side and may not always be fair. But with here, it's really good to see the more positive side and, of course, put people like pediatric doctors and nurses into a good light because I think I'm sure that most of them are doing the best they can. Number one, I think this is probably a layup for anybody. And, well, if I put an email about it in the beginning, it's got to be World Girls. World Girls made me fe- <laughs> made me think, man. I'm still thinking about it, obviously. We're still getting emails about it. I wouldn't be surprised if we keep getting emails about it uh, for a little while afterwards. It was just an interesting concept to put in a kid's show. And once again, I'll keep beating this drum. This is something that only, only a show like Arthur could do. A show that's based around... Uh, the relationships between young people and their relationships to the world. And in this case, it is how kids relate to their toys. But not in this, not in quite the sense of like, oh, you know, what is it like to, you know, to get a toy or to, um, you know, like dealing with like gifts and presents and greed and stuff like this. It's dealing with how kids are marketed to and, what that looks, how to explain that to a child. It's a really thin tightrope that this episode has to walk, and I appreciate that it did. Um, Whether it's Francine initially being resistant, but then finding the good part in it, which I thought was actually surprisingly mature, uh, or Muffy realizing the dark side of collecting. Again, nothing nothing against people who collect things. But there does come a point where you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? So even the idea of just asking questions of like, who is this for? Why am I doing this? It is, I really hope that that germinated in uh, the minds of kids out there. Maybe maybe not. Maybe maybe the, the intended audience is a little too young for that. But I think it means, it does mean something when I as a 30-year-old... Maybe it says more about me than the show that I'm still thinking about it and figuring out exactly how to express how um, how much I appreciate that the episode did this. I really also I don't know if I talked about this enough in the episode. I love the design of the world girls. I think that they're really cool um, and they're all very colorful and unique and representative, even as just this like one episode thing. And I appreciated what research must have gone into making sure. Um, all of the aesthetics of the World Girl dolls were up to snuff. So, World Girls, great episode, and I see now what everybody was talking about. So, that's my number one. Uh, Does it match up with Lucas? At this moment, I don't know, but you know. And I know that you also know how you feel about Season 10 and your favorite episodes. So don't be afraid to drop us a line and tell us about how Season 10 hit you as we get ready for Season 11. 
Now, let's. Uh, I'm going to just give you a quick preview of what the next couple of weeks of ECL are going to look like. We talked about this last week on the final episode of Season 10, and the schedule is available for free on patreon.com slash Limits. Also over there on our Patreon right now, uh, our patrons are getting exclusive access to my interview with Dallas Jokic, a former voice of Arthur, who we'll be hearing from in about another season. I believe season 12 is when he starts. So that interview will be up exclusively on Patreon for two weeks, and it will be released on November 20th for free. So just hang on for a little bit if you're not keen to sign up for the Patreon. That's a-okay. Next week, you'll be hearing from Lucas and I again. We will be talking the season 11 premiere of Arthur. I'm always I'm always excited to get started on a good foot, and hopefully we do here with Swept Away and Germophobia. And then November 20th, you'll be hearing the interview with Dallas Joe Kick, and a new episode of For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast, will drop on our Patreon. We're talking about Dragon Tales, which is a show that I actually saw more of than I even realize right now. Lots of cool stuff coming, and don't forget, come Christmas time, you're going to have another Patreon-exclusive commentary track for between me and Lucas as a little gift, and on the free feed, you will have another little gift as well coming your way to help you celebrate the holidays, and we will be with you up until then. Knock on wood. I'm actually starting a new job in November, so I don't anticipate that will interrupt the schedule too much but if anything does happen of course we will let you know otherwise thank you very much for listening to this episode of elwood city limits the season 10 it's done with we're done we're getting out of here for another week and then we'll be back with season 11 as we continue the double digits trek through arthur and we hope that you had a happy halloween we hope that you are okay this week and then we'll be back next week and we can uh, we can talk a little bit about it or depending on what happens, maybe you don't want to talk about it and we can just talk about Arthur like we always do. We'll be here for you. This is Will Young and for Lucas Mancini, that's Elba City Limits. See you next time.